0: Hey gang, do you like fighting games? I do. Do you like playing them? I do. Are you bad at them? I am. Do you like talking to people who are much smarter than you are? I do. We're doing all that this week. It's Playscape LA. everybody how's it going um man i i try every week to do that little intro bit in a way that doesn't sound extremely fake and i'm i'm pretty sure it always sounds extremely fake so thanks for Biden uh for biting with me biting abiding my amateurishness uh we're gonna get through it and i swear to god by the end of this podcast maybe i'll do one of those that sounds like like a real good real real excited intro i don't know anyway hi um What's been going on? Well, uh, I'm in LA. I'm back. I was just at PAX East in Boston, uh, in what for me was the first PAX I've ever been to, just as a person, uh, or like as a player. Uh, we did not have a booth for Hyperlight Drifter because uh, we were taking time off, and unfortunately, the rest of the team was a little too tired to to come out to Boston. So I was representing, and I got to meet some of you randomly, which was super cool to like run into people. In the middle of packs, who were just like, "Hey, Hyperlight Drifter, I love that game." Then I'd be like, "Whoa, thanks, that's you do, that's cool." Um, like someone would be wearing Hyperlight Drifter shirts, and that's really cool. Um, anyway, I I did that, and then I was in uh, DC, where I am from originally, uh, to see uh, my mom and my brother for a little bit, and now I'm back in LA. Um, the game, uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of update on... Yeah, I'm already doing it. Hi, it's me, Teddy. I'm your host. Um, this is the part where I talk a little bit about what's going on with me. And then we talk to our super cool guests. Uh, I should say our, our guest this week is Patrick Miller, uh, who is currently a game designer at Riot Games, uh, makers of League of Legends, though he's not working on League of Legends necessarily. Um, and... Uh, he is huge in the fighting game community, so we're gonna be talking a lot about fighting games, esports, things like that. It's super interesting, um, but I will give him a formal introduction in a few minutes. Um, so yeah, let me let me tell you what's up. Uh, I'm trying, I think, to rest. Uh, we've been doing a lot of patches to Hyperlight Drifter. Nothing urgent, nothing exploded. Just uh, making sure that everyone can play the game. Uh, we shipped a, a big feature uh we're doing a co-op beta this weekend meaning uh just for for some of this past week and this weekend people can uh opt in to a co-op beta where they can play with a friend because that's a feature we're going to be adding to the game permanently once we have some feedback data on on what people think and and whether it's working for them but that's i had a conversation with Alex Alex Preston who who's the creator of Hyperlite, this uh this past week and it was the first conversation I've had with him where I felt like maybe we're kind of done, sort of, at least with, like, the core of the game. There is still porting to be done. There's still lots of other business that has to be done. But the still going into Game Maker, the, the software we use to make Hyperlay Drifter, and, and write code, add assets, things like that, um, the things I thought might have been done when we shipped and was horribly wrong, uh, now, several weeks later... Um Almost a month later, I think we're almost done, and I'm actually starting to feel like the game's done, and I'm done making the thing and it's out, and it's over um and so now, my thoughts are going a lot to rest, and what that means what it means to rest, I don't know um I'm not good at resting, at least not in the traditional sense, like. I like to work all day, and then traditionally in the production of Hyperlight, I would like either go out, which I guess is resting, or uh, go home and work more, or sometimes stay at Glitch City, our workspace, and work on side projects. For me, side projects refill me, because if I'm not making stuff, I feel kind of guilty, I guess. Not guilty, I just feel like I want to be doing that. And it's hard for me to... Uh at least when I'm alone it's hard for me to rest. I I'm very social so people actually give me an excuse to not be working. You know if I'm like out with people or I have people over that is my best way to prevent myself from working because if I'm alone at home 100% I'm going to be doing something productive, I hope. Um if not like spiraling and feeling lonely for some reason. But I wonder and I'm thinking about this a lot like what it means to rest. I've talked about this in some talks I've given, but I think it's okay to work while you're resting. And I mean like I am hopefully going to be taking a few weeks of of working a little bit less intensely or almost almost not at all on hyperlight. And I'm thinking about what to be doing there and some of that will be celebrating, but like this stuff I want to make, this stuff I want to do, I'm trying to force myself not to do it right away because I know I know that it's valuable to take time where you're not producing, but to some degree, uh, I want to keep making things. I think this is very hard uh, and maybe this is is hard in its own way for everyone, but for me, as someone whose primary skills i guess you could say like game design is my primary skill uh, I also am like deeply trained in music um, and at this point i'm 'm a pretty good programmer uh, and I do some art like i 'm all over the board but the the point is like i'm not good at um I don't really have any skill that I'm very fluent in that I can sit down and just like whip something up. Like I've never gotten good at doodling uh, or, or just drawing at all. Um, the closest thing I have is like playing a little song, recording it and be, being done with it. Feeling like I've produced something like inside of an hour that I just kind of made and I can let go of. That's hard to find sometimes. And for some people who aren't, I think particularly for non-artists and like, especially when my head is any programming mind, you can't just kind of sit down and sketch something. I guess you can. I guess you can. But for me, it always turns into projects. So I have all these side projects, and this podcast is one of them. you know this podcast is one of the things I can sit down and do. Uh, you know, the conversations that I do take an hour. Um, these intros take you know twenty minutes, thirty minutes to prepare and record and all that, maybe an hour. Um, And then the editing and actual publishing of the podcast takes like an hour or two. But it's a pretty small amount of time to produce something for you guys. uh, And for me, to produce something for myself, to feel like I've done something. Anyway, you can tell by the speed at which I'm talking that I'm very much not relaxed, um, at least in the traditional sense. But I'm trying to rest. Uh, Other things I think about are like consuming other media. I'm way behind on video games and I want to play video games. But then I feel like, man, you probably shouldn't work for almost three years on a video game nonstop, and then just sit down and play video games. I know that's bad for... Well, not bad. It's just not inspiring, you know? Or it can be, but it's very insular. And uh, there is a, a well-known adage, I think, among people who make anything, but at least in the game community that I know of, that you should do things besides play games, right? You should talk about things besides video games, uh, you should consume art that is not video games. You should do activities that are not video games. Not that video games are bad, but that if that's all you do, that's the only inspiration you get. Uh, certainly I'm trying to go outside to get away from a desk, get away from a computer. That much I'm good at. But, you know, I think for me, it's I'm probably going to keep making things. I'm probably going to be... I know that um, the thing that's coming up next for me as a project. I'll be doing in like in like a month. Um but I have a few weeks to try and reset, try to force myself not to feel like Monday to Friday I have to be at a desk. I think that when you're making anything independently, even with Hyperlight, Hyperlight's a little easy because we had a Kickstarter, we had funding, it was technically a full-time job for us. So I had a work schedule kind of by de- by default. I had to be on-call Monday to Friday during the work days because those were our common hours that we agreed on but it's that's flexible that's what there was malleability and I I just used that as all those things I just said as an excuse to have a rigid schedule but when you're making things independently um you can make your own schedule right um and so for me that schedule has always been Monday to Friday and then some weekend stuff but at least for a couple of years on Hyperlight, it's been Monday to Friday. I've been working a work week. So, how do I take a vacation? How do I relax? If I go to somewhere else, which I just did, I just went to Boston, um, just went to DC. Do I bring my laptop? For me, the answer is yes. I have to bring my work. I have to be able to do stuff. Um, but I am. Uh, I'm finding ways to work. I'm finding ways to feel like Hyperlight Drifter is done, um, and that something else is starting. And it's a weird weird fucking feeling to to be done with a thing and to be like okay now what and I I, this is the last thing I'll say about it now that hyperlight is done and people ask how it feels and I wonder how it feels or how it will feel and whether we've had success you kind of think like what am I here to do what am I here to make um, what do I want to have made? What kind of creator do I want to be? And I remember recently thinking, um, I played Catherine, which is a game by the Persona team. That's just, Oh, it's so good. I won't, I won't talk about it right now, but it's, it, you should look it up. Catherine with a C. Um, I remember playing that game and loving it so much. And it touched on all these different elements of games that I like and things that I find interesting. And thinking, man, if I made this game, if I had made this game or something like this, I would feel like I'd, I'd, uh, I don't know, proven to myself that I can do it. Or I'd I'd fulfilled some sort of urge to, you know, to make stuff. um. And so then I thought, well, what happened to the people who made this? They probably just went on to make another thing. And this game is now just a PS3 game on a disc that a lot of people have played and a lot of people haven't um it's not some canonical piece um but even if it were it's over you know i th- i think about like what happened to the people who made my favorite games you know the people who made earthbound or final fantasy VII, final fantasy tactics bomberman 64 like these games that i love like what happened to them they just kept living their lives and so for me at a time where i feel so good about hyperlight i'm talking so much about hyperlight I'm trying to embrace that. I'm also looking to the future for what's next, for what creative projects I want to do, knowing that that's really important to me and I will not stop making things. Simultaneously, I'm starting to become more aware of the fact that, cool, I'll make the things. It'll make me feel good, um, but there's no... It's just sort of like how I was talking the other week about how reviews don't give me closure for the game being out. It's like, there's no, I'm going to have done it. I'm going to have made all the things I want to make, or or maybe there will be. I don't know. I'm too young. What do I know? Uh, Let me me end there. Let me end on I don't know shit. Uh, And let's start talking about my guest for this week, who does know some shit. Patrick Miller uh, is a good friend of mine. He's He's a friend who I met through uh mutual friends on Twitter setting us up like I think Patrick I'm going to call him Pat sometimes cuz that's what I call him but professionally he is Patrick. He was moving from San Francisco from the Bay Area to LA and someone tweeted at me or us that we should be friends. Like someone who knew both of us was like hey you you two should be friends. And so we tried that and it worked and um we have very good conversations with one another uh, and I think he's a really spectacular dude. But um uh, let me tell you about him. Uh he uh unprofessionally he is deeply involved in fighting games and the fighting game community i would i think his game of choice is street fighter i don't want to speak for him but that's the one that he talks to me the most about um and i love this i love this because i i i find fighting games interesting but i'm terrible at them uh, i'm only good at smash brothers which is not like technically a fighting game or it's a brawler maybe um but that was one of the games that uh, breaking down the design of that game in order to get good at it is one of the first experiences I had in understanding the depths of game design. Understanding that game design is not coming up with ideas or mechanics. Uh, That's like 1% of game design. What game design really is is the details, is understanding all the little choices you make that add up to a larger experience and all the implications that each decision has. So I remember looking up the um, Star Fox's uh, Fox Fox's move in Smash Brothers Melee, which is like a he has like a shield, which they call a shine. And I remember looking it up and discovering that uh, it it activates in one frame, like one frame of the game running, one computer frame is how long it takes to activate, and that makes it the fastest move in the game. No other character, I believe, has a move that activates in in only one frame because they have like a wind up for a punch or. A warm up for like a fireball or whatever, you, whatever you want to, um, whatever thing it may may be. Nothing else activates that instantly, and the implications for that on the use of Fox as a character are huge. And I won't get into it, but uh, I don't know anything about this, so that's why I, that's all I know. So uh, Pat is deeply ingrained in that uh, in in that community and has been for a very long time. He'll talk about that. Uh, he wrote a book on Street Fighter that you can get for free. It's called From Masher to Master the Educated Video Game Enthusiast's Fighting Game Primer. Um, you can get that on his Twitter account, which I'll tell you at the end of the podcast. But um, uh, currently, he is now a game designer at Riot Games, and previously he was uh, on the Rising Thunder team at Radiant, which has just been acquired by Riot. So that has brought him um, back into Riot, because he was there before. Um, he has a long history as well as a as a writer, um, and he is still doing things related to writing. Uh, but he was the editor-in-chief of Game Developer Magazine back when that was a printed magazine for people in the industry Um, and he worked at a number of other major publications Um, and yeah those are all the things that he does we're going to talk about them at length so let's get into it let's get into my conversation with Patrick Miller hi everybody hey internet um i guess it's the internet it is the internet there's no like imaginary world in which this is broadcast on radio waves well i mean wi-fi is radio right the tech is radio waves isn't it i don't know shit about the internet or technology at all i'm like the worst game developer (laughs) technology person like alex who uh runs our team is like are like creative lead and artists and mm-hmm. stuff and he knows way more about computers and graphics cards and stuff Not I do because he grew up as a pc gamer
1: gotcha okay yeah. so, like
0: anyone who grew up like caring at all about tech or specs knows a thousand times more than I do Sure. because like my entire basis for being an indie developer is that I don't want to well I don't want to care about tech I'm not a tech chaser like I haven't <laughs> done anything in VR because like I don't have the patience for firmware I don't mm-hmm. have the patience for like or my gra- my graphics up to spec is my game running at 300 fps or whatever you have to do to make vr and not make people throw up anyway and that's why hyperlight doesn't have 60 frames <laughs> oh, <fuck>. <laughs> <laughs> uh sorta no, sort of though, right? Like yeah. it's content versus like that that value. Sure. And there was a value for like we can make we can make more content. We can make we can put this energy elsewhere. I think that's a thing that like people don't totally get, or that you have to explain to people about features and stuff. They'd be like, "Well, if you had this much money, why couldn't you make this feature?" Right. And it's like, "Well, we could have. We chose to do something else instead."
1: I mean, obviously, I think there is a point, and there's there's a convergence point between the tech you're using and the experience, right? Like that's something I think Apple understands really well. Mm. Is like their hardware. Right, yeah. not just the design, but the actual like parts that they're using is often a like necessary component to their experience. The experience they want to create.
0: Well, they're right. like the um, the ushers of the hardware <laughs> on the software. Not yeah. usher the musician, but like yeah, they're there to like push. They're doing the good work on hardware and software, so they care about it because that's their craft.
1: Right. Um, but they're making phones and stuff and so it behooves them to pay attention to that kind of thing Mm -hmm. whereas if you're working in game maker and you're making something you know like an an indie project you probably aren't working on something that is as closely mediated through through the devices you're playing on not as Uh, much that's my guess yeah
0: yeah i mean with mobile games usually yes because there's a lot of considerations there um but with anything pc it's like or anything that starts PC or has steam as an element and you're going to go to console or even if you're on console but not on like a handheld because handhelds right. are really hardware specific but yeah. anything like PS4, Xbox, uh, Mac, PC whatever it's like if any of these platforms explodes I don't I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I care for like the competitive nature of making games but it doesn't matter to my my work. Sure. Um so I'm really thanks for doing this. Of course. I'm like so I have, so I always have these notes whenever I sit down with someone. I'm like, I'm so excited because usually what I do is I like copy verbatim the previous person's bullet points because they they tend to be very, very general. Sure. And I like just couldn't do that this time. Which I'm really Excited about like no spoilers, but like <laughs> there's like so many different there's so many different elements I want to talk to you about because I feel like you come from spaces and commun like multiple spaces and communities that I don't know shit about. That um, that are just like at least in 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 the whatever the circles that I run in like hard to hard to find. And
1: of course, like, yeah. Um, I'm I'm kind of a weirdo when it comes to games or pretty much anything else. Um, and also, uh, I I don't so I don't know everyone that you've been talking to for the this podcast series, but I can guess based off of what I know of your work, kind of your work life, and uh, the I don't know all the. All the various ways that you build your life to kind of revolve around the work you do that, um, I don't know, if you feel very L.A. to me, like kind of a lot of your workflow reminds you of like, oh, if if, if we were 20 years ago and we were making movies instead of making games, your life would probably look pretty similar. Right. Um, And part of I I always felt like part of my life was like that part of it wasn't.
0: Right. What do you attribute like? What are the characteristics of a life that you attribute to being in LA?
1: Well, for starters, uh, you like your brunches. Um, Uh You also, (laughs) I don't know, like this city is full of writers, right? And writers often don't work in the same place at the same time, or they may not work in an office. They may not, you know. Um, LA certainly, I I don't know, like I've never seen a city more literate in uh, freelancer and tax filing. Yeah. Right. Like that, that shit is just something everyone here knows how to do. Cause everyone's on contract and blah, 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 blah. Or should right. know how to yeah. do. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, so yeah,
0: like, hmm. well, let's jump in. Yeah. So let's start with FGC. Okay. Um, fighting game community mm-hmm. for people who are unfamiliar, which I definitely was for like, there was probably a number of conversations I had with you where I was just like trying to figure out what company you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. That's what it um, yeah, man. So like, fuck. I wrote this for later, but this is, like the first thing on the top of my mind. Sure. And here's what's interesting to me is that like you've so you've worked in the games industry in a number of capacities. Like I know and I'm most familiar with your work as editor in chief mm-hmm. of Game Dev Mag. Yeah. And then um, and also like your work at Riot and now your work with um, well the Rising Thunder team and now what you're doing next. Yes. Um. So like game development and and journalism. Uh. And one of the things I usually ask people. Just in life, but also sometimes on the podcast, is like I'm curious about how working in games affects people's relationship with playing games. Mm-hmm. And what's super interesting about to me your involvement in the fighting games community is that like playing games, like you're involved in the industry and community of playing games firsthand. Right. Whereas like so many like myself, I mean, I play games, whatever, but like I'm not involved in a game playing community. Yeah. Like you
1: are. Like, yeah, it is. It, it is an interesting distinction, right? And traditionally, you saw more of this distinction between journalists and devs because with a lot of devs, especially if you look at like again, you know, this is more for like boxed product or like one-time release, you know, pay upfront games and not services. But um, like a dev's relationship to a game can often end after it's shipped, mm-hmm. right? Like especially in a traditional dev cycle right they may remember it fondly maybe they come back to a sequel but the moment it hits the market it becomes like pretty much kind of the property of the players right and then they kind of apply their own meaning to to it right Mm -hmm. um in like often especially in, in kind of games that form around multiplayer experiences i've noticed uh, you see like the the player community takes whatever was in the game and just amplifies it and turns it up to eleven right mm. They find personality in the characters that you might not have written right mm. um, or uh, this is like my favorite example is and this you see you see this in any multiplayer game right like in Goldeneye it was you always had the friend that wanted to pick odd job, <laughs> and so picking odd job becomes. An identity you're like fuck Fucking those guys banned. Yeah. no way um and with fighting games you have like the one that are always picks zangief early on or the one that picks ryu early on or whatever right so yeah i mean the the, the beautiful thing about the fighting game community is it, as it is completely designed around playing games more so i'd say than you know kind of like a lot of other esports audiences mm-hmm. right where um the, the distinction we'll often draw is that like the fighting, fighting game community is actually built around play, and so playing mm. and competition becomes the focal point of our events. right? There's yeah, pretty much yeah. only one event that has no room for play, and that's the Capcom Pro Tour Finals. Why is that? Uh, um, because you have to qualify. It's not an open-entry tournament. Every other tournament in fighting games, pretty much, is an open-entry tournament. And so mm. like at Evo this year... Uh, the Evo team is going to have to figure out how to get through about three thousand plus matches of Street Fighter oh, Five, cause or it's open, three right? thousand players, mind you. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, they, we have like currently for Street Fighter Five, we've got over three thousand signups. So that's just the
0: first bracket, or the first like.
1: <laughs> that's round. so that yeah, that's the open entry bracket, and from yeah. there that we need to get from from three thousand players to eight. Yeah. by Sunday, um, <laughs> right. <laughs> In in League or in, in Dota or in any uh, kind of other, like, game that we'd more commonly call esports, the the the, the production is around the spectacle, right? Yeah. It's we got the best of the best, and they're here to battle it out. And you will only see the best of the best play. Hmm. So, yeah, it's, there's something, I don't know. I find, I find the community beautiful um, hmm. because it is, like, we, we, we take that shit serious, right? Like, we take the games that people make, and we play the shit out of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. Like, I mean, I've already started to see that with our relationship with the players in Hyperlight, mm-hmm. and trying to like, I've honestly, like, I'm honestly trying to be someone in a headspace that that I feel like is um, emulating where your head goes. Because a lot of my instincts during production are to like ignore what players say. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the adage is like, don't give them what they want, don't listen to what they tell you, like, watch what they do. Right, and that's how you determine what, like, what you should, what changes you should make the game. Yeah, but after release like for the players that really play the shit out of them there are players like still there are players who make suggestions where it's like no we can't listen to that that's sure. they yeah. don't actually know what they want yeah. um, but there are players who know what they want i guess, or like that can be constructive and i find that really interesting is there like in the community in the fighting community and the people that you know through that like how much how much crossover is there like yours where you're in that community of people who play these games but you're you've also gotten into development
1: um, I'd say there's a moderate amount, but honestly, not that much. Um, largely because, well, so at, at, like a, at kind of a rather trivial level, if you are into playing fighting games, you're probably also like at one, like at one point, you've probably thought of making them right. Mm. Um, I don't see that many people who are like, I play fighting games, but also I make some other shit on the side, right? Like yeah. it happens. Um, or, Uh, And if you've ever been to Evo and checked out the indie showcase that's there pretty much every year for the last couple of years, like there are plenty of games out there that we wouldn't consider traditional fighting games, but are uh, about kind of local multiplayer competition and would appeal to the same kind of person. Right. So like Barabari ball is a good example. If you've played that, Um, it's like. It's kind of smash and it's kind of volleyball.
0: Yeah, right? well, and didn't Noah work with uh, these yeah. two brothers, right?
1: Yeah, and Noah also works on uh, Killer Instinct for Iron Galaxy. Oh, yeah, that's right. Reasonable. Yeah, yeah. So um, on on one hand, there is some crossover, right? And we're seeing more of it. Like what, the, the folks at NYU Game Center are always pretty good about tying in fighting game stuff. Uh, they run an event called Spring Fighter every year. Frank mm-hmm. Lance has come out to talk at Evo. Um, so there are connections here and there, but it's not that widespread. They, they, Um, they, did they, or do they have a scholarship too? Yeah. So the Evo scholarship is, I forget exactly where the funding comes from. Um, but. Basically, there is uh, a collaboration between Evo and NYU that funds um, someone's studies, basically, which is really cool. Um, Most recently, actually, uh, Daigo Umehara, a.k.a. The Beast, Uh um, is a fighting game legend, especially in Street Fighter. But he donated his winnings from Capcom Cup last year to the Evo scholarship, which is really cool. Yeah, That is super cool. Um, So, yeah, there's some overlap. Like, you see some people who are interested in dev, but um, I would say, like you know, in, in league, for example, or in, in kind of other games like Dota, uh, everyone's got a champion idea at one point, right? Like, mm. and it's, and it's comparatively easy, I think, to sit down and think, oh, this is at least the framework for building a character. And this is what I would want his moves to look like. And this is how the, the values scale over, you know, you know, when you buy certain items or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, I think I think designers love MOBAs in part because uh, when I look at the skills required to design for MOBA, it seems like it's a logical extension of oh I built card games or I did, ran D and D campaigns or you know did my own tabletop stuff like it feels like it comes from that school. Um, and when I look at the the design work in fighting games, it's it, there's something kind of very analog about it. There's something that is uh, and I've talked with like Seth Killian and some of the other folks on my team before about mm-hmm. this, like the beauty of, of a fighting game character design is often not in the big picture, but in like, Oh, just look at the, how the frame, like the, the hit boxes on this frame move over here for just one, you know, yeah. one sixtieth of a second or whatever. Like there's a lot of stuff in there that, um, if you didn't kind of immerse yourself in the medium
0: or in, in the genre, it won't make sense to you. Um, is that to say there's also it's it's like, is that to say that um, players of MOBAs would like can get a little closer to understanding the design process than players of fighting games? Is that kind of the comparison you're making?
1: Um, I suspect that's the case. To be honest, my own my own mobile literacy is like not so high that I'd feel super confident in saying yes, absolutely. Okay, but I think that MOBAs tend to have more when, tend to wear more of their design mm-hmm. on them, I believe. Right, and part of that is like it's it's. Just it's easier to look at the values at play, right? Like yeah, you see, yeah. oh, this I buy this thing and make my damage on this thing go up, and it lays those statistics out for you, right? You mm-hmm. mouse over and you see a tooltip, right? And and it tells you, hey, this is what this thing does. Yeah. Um whereas with fighting games, like a lot of times we I mean, it's it's actually really funny. If you go back to kind of the first documented instance of fighting game community online, it was the it was the some of the old Usenet groups. I started paying attention to it a little bit when they moved out to alt.games.sf2. And you can find, like, uh, just OGs of the scene. You can find Seth, you can find James Chen, you can find the Cannon brothers. You can find all these people arguing back in like the early and mid 90s. Um but we and they you can see the, the posts where they invented terms to talk about the games because mm-hmm. we didn't we we didn't have access to a training mode. We didn't have access to hitboxes. Even the idea of hitboxes was something we kind of had to come up with. Huh. Um, like into it. Yeah. 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 Um or like the like the an understanding of how invincible frames work and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. like we kind of had to reverse engineer a lot of this stuff um and so yeah there's i think there's a certain amount of understanding fighting games that you can't get without playing an absolute shit ton of them and even now like when you look at the teams that are making fighting games it's like there's a few in the u.s right like Mm -hmm. double helix started on killer instinct through season one um and, uh, Iron Galaxy has done season two and season three, mm. there's Netherrealm and they've continued to do like the Mortal Kombat series and occasionally DC licensed games like Injustice. Um, and then you've, you've got like us, I guess the rising thunder team, yeah. right. With, with, as far as we got with it there. And then almost everyone else is in Japan and it's like, <laughs> like the the battle director on Street Fighter 5 is like a, he was a, he's a really well known Guilty Gear player right and a lot of a lot of the guys at Arc System Works are and and Dimps and aiding like those are the teams that do fighting games so there aren't that many of us
0: I love I man I fucking love communities where um I mean maybe this is always true but it's not always highlighted there are like regional mm-hmm. uh, trends and groups and like they You know, like, especially in this day and age, like when there are regional city or like a West Coast of the U.S., East Coast of the U.S. groups that have their own uh, beliefs or styles, whether that be in like game making community or playing community, that's super interesting to me. Yeah, Um, I look forward to
1: seeing more kind of regional documentation projects like like Playscape, Um, Mm -hmm. because uh, it's something that like it, it floats around in my head a little bit. Um, but it's, and from my head, it's mostly like paying attention on Twitter and saying like, oh, this person knows these people and New York people seem to kind of talk like this and Mm -hmm. West coast people Mm -hmm. seem to tend to kind of tend to talk like this. Um, certainly in fighting games, that kind of regional variation is all over the place. Uh, yeah. Both, both in the players and I guess in in the devs too. Though
0: I watched some, and I'm gonna, I'm going to immediately forget the name, but there was like a Smash documentary on YouTube. It's probably called The Smash Brothers. That's yeah, the yeah, one yeah, everyone yeah, knows yeah, yeah. of. Yeah, and then like that was what introduced me to like there was a sort of basically just East Coast and West Coast contingents yeah. that grew up with their own heroes. Yeah. The the funny was-
1: thing is that like the 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 kind of the the tensions and personalities that they ascribed to each of the regions in The Smash Brothers um, mirrors exactly pretty much the fighting game community, like the the broader street fighter based or, or like the kind oh, of yeah. more traditional fighting game communities. Like um, when you, when you look at like the NorCal and SoCal players mm-hmm. and then you look at the New York players, like very, very similar in terms of um, just kind of the attitude and the vibe and so on and so forth. What far. are like,
0: what are like the layman's terms you can use for non-fighting game players to understand like that characterize those two groups? Sure. So, well, so, Regional
1: rivalries are always an interesting thing because uh, they're entirely relative, right? So Mm -hmm. when you have... Uh, east coast on one side of the bracket right like let's say i mean justin wong for example like he he's a east coast like born and bred player who didn't come out to the california until much or until i mean now it's been a while but uh he was like he was known as east coast like i remember you know growing up in the fighting game community and being like ah, justin wong he's the one who's stopping <laughs> the west coast from achieving domination in in marvel right wow. um he was like the a rod or something yeah oh, okay. but but then as soon as you put him as soon as you put justin against a japanese player then you're rooting for Justin because he's the American. Hmm right so and likewise with California like NorCal and SoCal always have rivalries right like we yeah. always want to beat each other up but mm-hmm. the moment you see California versus West Coast or versus East Coast you're like now nah, fuck that Justin guy I'll root for the LA guy who I just I just bet against it's like, like a, 20 game. minutes
0: ago it's the Independence Day principle yeah it's like if aliens come in we all bond <laughs> together or the or the Watchmen plot yeah if you're so in waters. in kind of the the typical fighting
1: game space uh Northern California players tended to be pretty well known for their their um, their their superior footsies is what we call it, and mm-hmm. that's basically. Uh, it's like kind of trading, trading blows and looking for opportunities at kind of like the mid range. Right. So if you think okay. about like in a, in a boxing match, for example, when you see the range at which people are trading like jabs and, and straights, but not like full combinations um, that they're kind of feeling each other out. Right. Okay. Um, like NorCal players tended to, were were known for a long time for being very, very good at footsies. Mm-hmm. And even now, like I can go ahead and play someone in Capcom versus SNK two And I will, probably if they weren't from NorCal I'll, they'll probably be like kind of taken off guard by um, my footsies game just because <laughs> that that's a hallmark of my region so all like I remember coming up uh, playing that game and just and just realizing that the way to get good here was to do that and it, and, it, and it took me a long time to realize that that wasn't how everyone came up in this game yeah so I yeah. so when I first played against Southern California players in CBS two. Uh, they were known for their relentless aggression they played Mm. kind of unorthodox teams much less concerned about do my does my character have like good moves for controlling space um at like at a range or at mid-range or whatever right um but they tended to be uh typically much more unpredictable right Mm. and that was kind of that's personified in southern california's like oldest and most uh I'd say he's like the, he's, he's kind of like the SoCal general. And now he mostly just organizes the tournaments. But he still plays, but Alex Valle, like his, his catchphrase is rush that shit down. Right. And that is kind of, that's the ethos that Southern California has, has, um, has, has uh, kind of taken shape around. And I remember like in, in the, the Marvel versus Capcom two days, like NorCal's flagship player was a guy named uh, uh, Randy Liu, Okay. And he was known for being the most boring player in the world. Like, turtle like a motherfucker mm. like just zoned mm. it like his, he'd, he'd just keep you uh like kind of locked down with cable and there wasn't a whole bunch you could do um just re- not a good spectator match no not at all yeah. i well, it, it becomes a good spectator match because then you're rooting for him to get open right? <laughs> right and then right, southern right. california had like eight magneto players my favorite was um oh god sue mighty Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sue mighty was just like, he's known for this just absolutely tempestuous re- like relentless offense. Magneto is a character in Marvel, which, where he can attack you from any one of four directions, or he can grab you if you try to block. And it's like, it's, it's almost, it, it's the hardest thing to block that I've ever seen in any game. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it just boiled down to guessing, um, guessing, and then trying to not put yourself in that situation. And I, I remember getting demoralized, seeing Sue mighty tear through like NorCal's other players, But then Sumite goes up against Justin Wong at Evo two thousand three, I believe, is in a a East Coast West Coast tournament or something like that, Um, and Sumite embarrasses him, and I'm 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 just like completely stoked. I'm like, (laughs) Justin Wong is mortal, and he just got exposed, and that's amazing, right? Um, So yeah, like those kind of regional differences are all over the place, and they change, and sometimes they don't,
0: Mm. right? I want to. So this, I'm I'm thinking a lot of not. A lot now about like esports mm-hmm. and sports culture. Because the way you talk about players is like the way I'm familiar with, like I, I don't watch sports anymore, but that's my closest proximity to sure. like yeah. an environment I've been in. Mm-hmm. Um and this ties into you know another one of your backstory things, which is your time at Riot. Yeah. Um where to me, like I've said this to people at Riot and they usually just look at me funny, but I'm sticking with it, which is <laughs> that like like sometimes it feels that, and I mean this in like a very positive way. That like, um, right? Like, League of Legends and like mobile community is to video games as a larger whole as like the WWE is to sports. And I don't mean that in terms of like the design of the matches or sure. the fact yeah. that like it's fake or whatever. Yeah. But like, it's such its own community. It's such its own thing at a huge fucking scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's it's. I know, I,
1: I, I kind of like that metaphor in part because. You didn't say pro wrestling. You said the WWE. Yeah. And in the United States, unless you are one of those, like, top 1%, like, engaged pro wrestling fans, you probably only consume WWE stuff, right? Yeah. yeah, And I say this as someone who recently got into pro wrestling and is largely mostly only watching WWE stuff. (laughs) Um, Similarly, I think, uh, like, there are esports. And there's kind of a community built around esports. And if you look at, uh, especially around kind of the esports boom that started with Starcraft two. Yeah. So like yeah. The, the kind of, you could call it like the, the second coming or whatever. Right. Um, there was a lot of talk about kind of cross game unity, like, Oh, Starcraft players, we should support Halo players because we're mm. all showing up the same events. And when MLG uh, was the company that was kind of the linchpin of of most at least like um kind of North American events yeah MLG didn't host events for just one game. they had a whole bunch of games and so there was this this talk of unity right mm-hmm. and league kind of grew a, a little bit separately, I guess, like, and this is my, this is not speaking from my exper- experience as, a, as someone who works at Riot, because mm-hmm. I wasn't there for yeah. League's early years. I was a StarCraft II fan. I was one of the StarCraft II fans that got kind of sad when, when he realized that League's stream numbers were just completely trouncing StarCraft. Oh, everyone yeah. who got, or not everyone, but a lot of people yeah. who got into StarCraft II kind of in the early days believed that it was going to be the one. To like break open esports to a new level and to a new audience, yeah. um, and it turned out that was kind of
0: league more than StarCraft, right? Do you think that's because of a StarCraft failing, or do you think that's because of just the the size of league? I mean, I don't want to get too much into predicting. But...
1: It's, I mean, it's hard to say, right? Yeah. Like, part of it is, uh, you know, I mean, just straight up from a business model perspective, like free to play means you monetize off continued engagement, mm-hmm. which means you need to. If if you think that streaming and esports and that is like a kind of an important part of your of your player base and your player experience you have to keep on updating the game to kind of keep people interested and give people more stuff to do mm-hmm. and with starcraft 2 like wings of liberty came out and then i think it was like three or four years until heart of the swarm came out yeah. right um also just like fuck man starcraft 2 is a really hard game to play oh is it yeah okay. it's I've- like a competitive starcraft 2 is arguably the fit like physically the most difficult
0: uh, competitive video game out there. I was like the weird mutant StarCraft player where I just made single player campaigns that were like Final Fantasy yeah. fanfics. That's yeah. like all I did. In Starcraft.
1: Yeah, I I I, I, rem- I have very fond memories of like the the map editor. Yeah. Uh, for for kind of vanilla StarCraft and Brood Wars. Like, mm. I mean, I remember when like game development kind of seemed easier just because those tools were always packaged in with everything, mm-hmm. right? Um, no, StarCraft Two is, I mean it's It's physically probably the most demanding of all the competitive games out there. Um, it's very hard to get into and mm-hmm. it's a beautiful game, but it's a beautiful game once like once you've gotten through all that and, and as a fighting game player, I relate like um, I looked at the kind of the entry cost of Starcraft 2. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is hard, but you know it's not more than more work than I put into mm-hmm. um, to get competent at, at yeah, any you've other been like, through that curve yeah, exactly right. Mm-hmm. like I'm used to that kind of stuff. Yeah um and that makes it a little bit more palatable
0: okay
1: um but yeah it, to to return to kind of your earlier point league is its own thing right like there are a lot of like it's the people who play league they they play other video games but some people don't right yeah. and the people who work on league like some like uh, most of us are gamers right yeah. um but there are so, but like league can kind of be all the video game you need if that's what you want it to be right like i can I can, like, come home from work, and I can play a couple games with my friends, and then maybe I can I watch some videos or I catch up on the subreddit, or maybe I'm reading the subreddit at work on my phone or whatever, and on weekends I'm watching pro matches, and, you know, like, maybe I've got a second monitor during some of the, the, the work week matches too, right? Like, yeah. it, it can consume all that time if you let it, or if you want yeah, it to. yeah, yeah. Um, and like, as again, as someone who's been getting into pro wrestling kind of over the last year or so, I was surprised at how many shows there are there's, there's, I mean, you have like pay-per-views once a month mm-hmm. and then you have raw and SmackDown. Like that's a lot of wrestling to watch.
0: That, are they still back to back? So like Sunday night, Monday night, uh, yeah.
1: So pay-per-views are usually on, on Sunday, like okay. evening, and then you've got raw right up next the next day yeah. and then you've got i think smackdowns on wednesdays and sometimes there are other interim shows and if you're really into it you watch nxt as well and yeah. blah 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 right?
0: yeah i guess that's where the comparison comes into my yeah. head is like this tradition of things and i guess the same could be true of sports but like you pick a sport yeah because there's plenty there mm-hmm. you know you get your cable channel that streams like every game that's ever played and that's all you need yeah and and league is in a tradition of games that did it to a smaller scale or like had players where that's all they cared about. It. That's all they needed to care about. It. That was enough for them. Like people who play Madden or people who played a lot of Halo yeah. or people who play Minecraft. Yeah. I, I went to MineCon a couple years ago. We showed Hyperlite at MineCon nice. and people were like, what is this Minecraft? I was like, no, it's a different video game. And they're like... <laughs> Are you but, a but did you make
1: it in minecraft yeah right right it's
0: like well it's like pixely so it's like are those are those the cubes for minecraft are you a streamer <laughs> it's like no that's where i learned the word youtuber because nice. I'm, I'm so out of touch i mean i
1: still am out of touch that that is kind of the world we're entering though right it's like a while ago i realized that the the fact that we call these video games is almost kind of a disservice right mm, um because like there are like league arguably is a game but it's also many other things mm. right like for the past six months, I actually haven't been playing that much league, but I still kept up on the subreddit and I still followed it. Right. Um, Mm. I still paid attention to the drama and I'd watch games from time to time and I'd see what people were like talking about in regards to balance issues or like Mm. this, that, and this other thing. Right. Um, at that point, like calling it a game is like saying football is a game like yeah, it is, but saying it's it's a game doesn't seem to represent the entirety of the ways in which we interact with it right like if I play a game of football that doesn't mean I, that I'm also like making friends mostly with other football fans and um you know paying attention to what teams are doing in the off season and that kind of thing right like there becomes um i don't know when if I compare it to something like say give, say something like portal for example like portal okay. is this iconic game in video game history it showed up at the right time it was the right idea like it was executed brilliantly but there's only so much of yourself that you can give to portal yeah right um league is it's it's like it's a game it's a hobby it's a fandom so so too it is with fighting games right yeah it's the same thing
0: yeah that's very far to me like everything that i've ever done and like hyperlight included even though hyperlight is a game where people like are digging into it and doing speed runs and stuff it's like from my perspective as a player, it's the type of game I do where I consume right. it, I have my time in it, and then I move on. Like, it's about breadth or it's about... Yeah. yeah.
1: Like, recently I've been getting back in the habit of watching movies, which is actually not something I do on a regular basis. Okay. And it's been really nice to have an experience that, like, starts and stops over the course of one night. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I can have an opinion about something because I've seen it end-to-end. End. Um, like, I can process it over that night, mm-hmm. and it's great. And, I, I, and it wasn't until... Uh, I it's uh, like I got a cold recently and says so like you know what I'm gonna take a break from playing competitive games for a little bit. I'm just gonna kind of have some downtime on the couch. Mm-hmm. I'll watch a movie. Like I've had Netflix, I've had a Netflix account for a long time and I barely use it. Yeah. Um, and I realized it's like it was doing something nice for my brain to have that kind of like that discrete experience. There, just
0: there's almost like a disappointment when I'll see a movie and then I'll talk to people about it and they'll say something and then I'll realize they're referencing the books. <laughs> and I am like, fuck, you just broke open my beautiful little box. Like, there's some piece of lore or something that I didn't get. Right. Yeah, but I, because I see exactly what you mean. That it's so nice to have something that's that closed. And that you just can't do that. Um, okay, here's a weird thought okay. that I'm to ask you about. And then I want to I wanna get off FGC and push away from that a little mm-hmm. bit. But um, celebrity is a thing. Yeah. Um, you've talked about a few already. Like, uh, the one I'm most familiar with is Daigo. Right. Um, and... As we talk about, or as we are sitting in and potentially, like, hopefully talking to some degree about Los Angeles, mm-hmm. that's very relevant. Oh, yeah. Um, because LA is, like, the city of celebrity. It's, like, people come here to be famous, people come here. Um, or if they're becoming famous, they come here to promote it. Like, And most recently, LA sort of is aggroing a, another video game community, which is streamers. Mm-hmm. Like, there are companies here, like Maker and stuff, who exist Oh, yeah, now, there's promote. a whole bunch of streamers and YouTubers out here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, does... Does that happen when it comes to, like, the industry of FGC, when it comes to teams and people getting sponsorships and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. Like, there are known players, there are
1: known personalities, there are known mm. commentators and content creators and all that kinds of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and like, arguably, like when you look at the team that I'm, that I'm working on, um, the kind of the now X radiant entertainment crew, like mm-hmm. a lot of those folks were well known for the work that they did back in the day. Right. That yeah. kind of, that like they were kind of proto celebrities. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's like, well, uh, James Chen and David Graham are two very well-known commentators that usually end up tanking a lot of the the Capcom Cup commentary okay. for like for the Capcom Cup series of tournaments. They live like ten minutes away from me in cool. in L.A. Right, like yeah. and like we hang out every now and then, and occasionally like I haven't been there for it, but occasionally they get recognized um, or like. Man. For it, like fighting game celebrity is very funny. Cause it's very contextual. Like Justin Wong will, has tweeted many times about how like he'll be pulling out his arcade stick at a, uh, like a TSA checkpoint uh-huh. and someone's like, Oh man, you know, good luck champ or whatever. Right. Whoa. Yeah. Um, like he gets recognized a lot. And then he throws his dirty Jersey at the kid. And- <laughs> <laughs> Just got this sweaty towel yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny because it's, it's not a, it's, it's a very specific kind of celebrity, right? Sure. Like I'm actually at Evo last year, this very nice person walked up to me told me they liked my book and asked me to sign their boxing gloves. Wow. And I was like, I like, I was kind of floored because part of me was like that, like for one, I'm the least cool person on these boxing gloves, <laughs> but even so I was like, I can appreciate like, this is a very distinct like slice of the world and mm. in this slice of the world in in this in this one instance right where we all get together for a weekend in vegas and create like uh a world that is only about fighting games mm. i am a mini celebrity right yeah it's it's weird but it's kind of it's kind of cool right um and it's i guess i guess it it is uh it's It's neat to think that like you know for for a lot of us this is just something like we do on the side and it's this it's the it's the the nights and weekends for the rest of our lives, yeah right um
0: because right, most of the knowledge you're talking about a lot of this stuff is just effectively like it's non professional for you. yeah like you're exactly for this. there
1: are very few like professional fighting game anything mm-hmm. because there's like relative to other scenes there just isn't that much money hmm. um right we're we're in a weird place as a genre because. Uh, we routinely get like lots and lots of Twitch viewers relative to the size of the game in terms of player base or install base or whatever. Right. Mm. So it's a game that's easier to watch than it is to play. um, And sometimes more compelling to watch than it is to play. Um, Mm. And that isn't the case with a lot of games, right? Like like if you play league, you're probably like watching league in between games or because you can't be playing right now, or because there's Mm. a really neat match that makes it temporarily more compelling. Right. But, there seem to be a lot of people who watch fighting games and they just rarely feel
0: motivated to pick them up. It's just like more athleticism or something, mental athleticism or something like...
1: Kind of. I mean, I guess, like, I think a lot of uh, comparing, a, a lot of understanding where fighting games are, it's the, the parallel to, like, actual mixed martial arts combat is actually surprisingly accurate. Like, mm-hmm. lots of people watch the UFC. Very few people watch the UFC and think, oh, I want to do that. Yeah. And then, of the people yeah, who do I'm that, like, very few stick with it for more than a couple weeks. Yeah. Right.
0: So, too, it is, at least that's the impression I get with finding games as well. Yeah, that it's just like, it's work, it sounds like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's where I capped out on the thing I got closest to ever being good at a game. And one of the things that got right. me interested in design yeah. and, like, the stuff you were talking about, which was playing some Deep Smash back right, in the day, yeah. it was like, once I started to learn about, like, frames and stuff, and I was like, oh, this is the move that has the fewest frames in the game. Like, that's so fascinating when I learned that, like, fox's shield in melee it was like a one frame out yep and i was like whoa that's so." And that's what makes it so good yeah yeah but then i learned about like uh wave dashing Mm -hmm. and i was like i don't want to do this because it's hard yeah like it's unpleasant for me to practice this and that's where i topped out it's like i'm gonna play the way i play which is like messy and weird and yeah wave dashing is actually pretty much where
1: i stopped with smash oh really yeah i was i looked at that and i was like the amount of work necessary to get good at this would be better applied to a fighting game that I care more about.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, in that game particularly, there was something about, um, the way to play to be competitive was like, there's a, a point where you break out of how the game was kind of designed to be played. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I used to play like Fox and I was just always up in the air just yeah. trying to kind of like what you're saying about LA players, like just trying to be unpredictable and trying right. to all over the place. And then I watch like real matches, and like you're, everybody's on the ground, with, like, yeah. all this short hopping, all this short work hops, to yeah. stay down. Yeah. And that's what I liked most about Smash was being up. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I can't do the work. i yeah. want to do it. Um, You mentioned your book. I want to take that as like a transition point sure. to talk about you as a writer. Okay. Because um, that's like, man, something that like I deeply respect about you and Thank you. want to, I don't know, like I want to hear your thoughts on that because you were doing it professionally when you were working a uh, game dev mag. I don't know. Did you have a career? Uh, did you have jobs that you were doing before that? And yeah. Writing? So I actually, it's funny. Um, I,
1: when I was, I'm going to give you the TLDR cool. um, origin story, okay. which is, uh, growing up as a kid, I always wanted to be, to make games and, being that this was in the 80s and 90s, like pretty much that meant, oh, I wanna I want to learn how to program. That's how what I want to do. And so I'd get my dad to buy me these books They're like learn C or C or huge games in C. Yeah. And I'd I would like read them for I, I would make like a good faith effort for like a week and then be like, this is too hard. I don't get it. I don't mm. really know how to set up this stuff. And no one or no one is really around to help me. Um, I didn't even know I should it didn't even occur to me to ask for help. I was just like, oh, I'm mm. too stupid for this. <laughs> um, and uh i remember like one of my classmates being like you're never gonna make games man you're never gonna be a programmer i was like oh fuck maybe he's right um did and, he
0: kick dust on you in the playground too uh
1: he did hit me with a tennis racket but it's because i stole his cookies once okay, okay. yeah so there was there was a good amount of back and forth there but um so i i, I in addition to that i've never been good at like math or science mm-hmm. and you know that's like the there's a lot of math in game development. Yeah. Um, especially and there's a lot of like a lot of super difficult bullshit you have to deal with when, you know, your intro to game development is here is like here's a C environment, get started, right?
0: Yeah, sounds bizarre.
1: Um So In high school, I decided to start writing about games instead. Um, And I had always been kind of like more of a writer and reader person anyway. I I read a lot of books when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. mostly again because my dad would only let me play video games for an hour. And so I needed to find something else to do at that time. And games were, or books were kind of like a nice second option. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so I started writing about games. I started for a site that was called Mac gamers ledge back in the day, oh, okay. um, which is actually one of the two kind of main Macintosh gaming sites. The other was inside Mac gaming. Um, and so I, I just kind of like write columns, mostly about shareware, uh, mm-hmm. or I do reviews here and there, nothing that big, but I was like, it was fun to feel like as a part of something. Yeah. And it gave me this like minute amount of status in the small group of Mac gamers, Um, and then, uh, so I did that actually until college, uh, where I read, I started getting bored of kind of the traditional review format, but then I started reading insert credit and that kind of motivated me to get back into games writing. I also took a class on creative journalism, um, Mm -hmm. that taught me how to pitch stuff. And so by like the end of my sophomore year, I was pitching the escapist, um, just kind of on a lark and, uh, started getting some stuff greenlit there. So I'd been writing about games for a long time. Um, like I started when technically I started when I was 14. Um, and then I worked at PC world magazine for like three years doing how to's
0: and some game coverage and some Mm -hmm. other stuff before getting uh, tapped to do game developer. So So, there's like a, this is something that I had to learn from the outside is that like, there are people who are sort of staff writers, but there are also like, you can pitch stories to publications. Yeah. It's,
1: I mean, so typically the way it works is if you are on staff, you're probably an editor. Mm -hmm. Um, which means you will write, but you'll also be working with freelancers to, to commission pieces or handle news coverage or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it is like when you have, when you look at one person's output, it's scales better. Like their time scales better if they're working with freelancers to, sure. to do all kinds of other stuff. Right. Okay. Um, so that, yeah, that's what I was doing. That's basically like my first full time job mm-hmm. was helping edit the how to section for PC world.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, So where, so then, so then you. Oh God, I was about to say pivot. I just have to <laughs> fucking say it now. Um, I'm not gonna work it into the sentence, but you can to it. Yeah. Like you went from <laughs> from doing writing as a, as an editing as mm-hmm. a full time thing to I th- I think then what was your the biggest thing out of that which was coming to Riot right it was like getting into still doing well like can you explain what you did at Riot? Yeah. So well, so at PC Roll I was helping edit a section
1: in both print and on the web. Um, my That experience, as well as kind of like my, my, uh, uh, I ended up working with some of the insert credit crew on, like on a, an attempt at reviving the site for, oh, a, couple, for right. a little while. Um, and so that kind of got me in the door to edit Game Developer Magazine. And then when Game Developer Magazine folded, Riot was looking for someone to edit leagueoflegends.com. Mm. And so that's what I was doing over there. Um, when I kind of, when I came in the first time, so it was still editing, it was still writing and editing, but it was less, uh, kind of day to day, uh, like, you know, I, like I didn't, I didn't cut that many drafts apart. I didn't really do that much in terms of working with text. It was more the, um, deciding what goes where in our various kind of content channels. So I'd help, I'd help us figure out like, okay, what are the most important stories for this day and where do we put them in the client Hmm. or on the front page or whatever, Um, and so that kind of stuff, yeah. It's like higher level level editing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. So my title there was editor in chief as well. Okay. Um, so that kind of got me, you know, it's, it's the same, I'm exercising the same skills, but for a different end, Mm -hmm. right? Where the end is we're producing this game. We need to be able to communicate with players. Yeah. Um, then why stop doing that to go to radiant entertainment and work on rising thunder as a community manager, which Mm -hmm. again, most of my engagement with our players there was through text Um, okay. And it was like a lot of my job there was making sure we were clearly, uh, communicating, um, what was going on in upcoming patches or patch cadence and that kind of stuff. I'm handling like service requests, like pretty, like a lot of it was just like forum moderation, right. That kind of stuff, helping nurture our streamer or YouTuber community, like that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, it's writing and editing has,
0: has persistently been one of those skills that like,
1: doesn't matter what the job title is. It's going to involve writing and editing.
0: Yeah, it's funny. We were talking about, well, we, I mean, on a different note, we were talking about soft skills before yeah. we got on the on the air. And when you walk me through it like that, it changes my understanding of your career already. Mm-hmm. Because like, even in the way I posed the question I was posing, this like, well, you were writing up until X and then you went to Riot. And then as we got into it, I was like, wait, no, that's exactly what you were doing. Or that's like, it's so connected. Yeah. And I think that's for people who getting who are getting into an industry or are in an industry trying to chart a career and a path. Like, I always find because I'm always treading a path too like mm-hmm. we're all working through our careers so
1: the the Final Fantasy Tactics job system is my favorite uh, way of describing like how the real world works in terms of careers that is the best way you could describe anything to me. <laughs> because I will, yeah. I'm with you okay. I, I think of writer or writer editor as mm-hmm. like kind of one of the early foundational classes right like it's like Squire level or like yeah, like somewhere chemist. between like Squire and like Knight I guess okay. right okay. where it's like um you look at what at at that kind of core skill set that you're being that you're you're developing early on in your career Mm. and like there are all kinds of different places you can learn writing like you can learn writing in pr you can learn writing in like in journalism like i did or you Mm. can also learn in other 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 capacities as well right um and then that becomes like that core skill set that then is expanded by, Oh, now I have experience working in an organization that thinks about this, that, or this other thing. Mm-hmm. Well, most of what I do in my day to day job will still be writing and editing or talking to people. Actually, yeah. a lot of it is, um, one of my, one of my strengths as a writer is I'm very conversational and people often tell me that the way I write feels like the way that I talk to people. Which is um, great. I mean, I like it. I think it, it yeah, works that's, for I mean, that's me. the writing I enjoy doing. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah that's kind of the core skill, and then everything else kind of revolves around that.
0: Do you feel like all right i'm gonna I'm gonna get really big now okay um Do you look ahead at like a path you feel like you're carving out? Do you have any direct idea of like where you feel like you want to be going in near future or like how you view your career path then?
1: Um, I mean, it's funny because I basically am doing the thing that was always like long off in the distance. Right. I get like, I get a chance to work with a team that I've looked up to for the longest time. Um, and the stuff that I'm doing now is the stuff that I actually never thought that I'd be able to do. So, um, it's, kind of eerie how well that that worked out for me Uh in that respect um but yeah like it it is also funny because part of my brain is always thinking okay so what's next right like what like now that i'm here and i get i get to focus on this but what does this open me up for in the future
0: well it's that maddening thing i mean i think that probably plays into the fact when you say like oh things just like magically worked out it's like no it's probably because of that
1: yeah no it's it's not it's Uh, I'd say a good amount of luck and then a good amount of making like what I would, what I would say are smart bets. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, like I I think about what I could be doing five or 10 years out from now, like all the time. Mm. Uh, It's always in the back of my mind, not because there's stuff that I'd rather be doing, but because I know given the kind of person that I am, that I probably won't be be doing the same thing Mm. forever or even for that long. Right. Yeah. Um, what that is is nebulous and changes, right? Like, and and the picture I think tends to get a little bit clearer um, as you know, like I'm 30 right now, and I mm-hmm. think, oh, what will I what will I be doing at 35? Well, right now I probably have some idea, mm. um, but at 33 I'll have a better idea, right? Sure. Just because it w- the, the the picture will be more in focus. Um, I gave I gave a talk at GDC this year called uh, "Weird Game Dev Jobs and How to Get Them."
0: cool oh yeah i heard about that i really want to see it is it on the vault yet
1: uh yeah it is and i think it's actually free so you can check it out um but the 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 the, it is a little bit clickbaity, right like the (laughs) the the point of the talk the the meat of the talk is actually uh spoilers every game dev job is weird and all Mm. our paths are weird there is no real traditional path the traditional path used to be go through qa but that i don't see a whole lot of that anymore um especially yeah uh or, you know, now we have like people going to school for game dev, but yeah. they're going to school and they're getting their degrees, and then they're realizing that like a lot of us in games did not start out in games. Mm-hmm. We started out in something else, we got good at something else, and then we found a way to apply that skill to games later on in our careers. Yeah. Right. And so in the talk I go through like I think it's like 10 or 15 different people. I'm like, hey, where do you think this person started? Or where do you think this person ended up? Or like what was their first job in games? And it's always like Oh, well, uh, this person was playing a tuba and then got a PhD in music and then got a PhD in this other kind of tangential field. Mm -hmm. And now they're a programmer at EA or sometimes it's now they work in like rhythm games or something. Right. Um, and yes, like I've, I've been in positions where I had to kind of give new, uh, new game developers like career advice right? Um, especially when it's like my team and I'm mentoring them and stuff. And Mm -hmm. like the, the kind of the, the, the core of the advice to always give them is, uh, I cannot, I cannot make opportunities happen and neither can you, but you can make sure that you're the right person for an opportunity when it comes by. Mm -hmm. And that, that tends to be how I think about it, right? Like I can't make something happen in the future, but I can like wake up every morning and think, well, uh, this is actually kind of how I got into working in um, esports and fighting games in a professional capacity. Was mm-hmm. I paid attention to the esports stuff and video streaming stuff on Twitch like pretty early on? Like yeah. I was, I was since I was into StarCraft Two, and that was kind of what made StarCraft Two blow up. And a lot of people didn't get into it until much later. And by then, I already had like a moderate amount of experience and understanding of who the players were in the field and stuff like that. Like that became an, uh, this kind of crazy investment in my career. Mm-hmm. And I'm always paying it like. This pro wrestling stuff that I'm getting into, it's entertaining, but it's also something which I think, oh, in, like, three or five years, this will pro- like this experience will probably be
0: useful in something that I'm working on. Yes. At. Patrick Miller, virtual reality, wrestling, MOBA, commentator, and analyst, <laughs> 2023. I, yeah, I think you just actually predicted the future, Teddy. That's the second time I've ever done that. Um, no, but, like, I... I that's super cool and I, I totally like the first thing i thought of when you said that was like the the um what rovio used to say about angry birds mm-hmm. was that like oh they made like 42 games or something before angry birds and it was yeah. like well you can't make success but you can be ready for success right and um when that game blew up they were ready for it and they knew mm-hmm. what to do and, and similarly like our experience with with hyperlight like i i developed a bunch of skills when it came to like uh, development but also like pr and stuff that that I was working on in when I was indie before Alex invited me to be on Hyperlight, mm-hmm. And then him inviting me onto Hyperlight was like him, like loading ammo into the gun Right. where I was like, cool, I know how to do this shit. And now I can actually like, en- I'm enabled and empowered to do some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um saying the same sort of thing. It's like, you just don't know when it's coming. Yeah. So I can't get you to predict your own future. <laughs> what about like, so yeah. And the other cool thing about what you're doing with, with, the former rising thunder team is folding back in what we talked about for a long time, which is the fighting game community mm-hmm. stuff. Um, what's like, what's like kid Pat's like, if you, if you were do, or like, is there a thing you've already done or that you could see yourself doing? That would be like kid Pat's dream thing where he'd like hi, fucking high five you. Like, um,
1: I think like, I actually do think time. about this on occasion mm-hmm. and I think like, if I were to meet up with probably like teenage era Pat, mm-hmm. he'd look at me and be like, "Man, your life is so cool." <laughs> um, and I try and remember that sometimes because, like, man, I'll have days where I drive to the office and I'm just like, uh, <laughs> "I don't want to go to work. I want to sleep in, and then I want to like, I don't know, make some toast and jerk off or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and then and then I, I and I'm sitting in the parking lot. And I'm about to go into the office and I think like 14 year old me would slap the shit out of me. Not right now, not for where he ended up, but for how he's thinking about it, Mm. you know? Um, and I take a little bit of comfort in that, right? Like I I take a little comfort in thinking, Oh, like it, I'm, I'm not the kind of person who is, I guess, dazzled or starstruck by his opportunities, right? Like I let myself celebrate when I get them. And then the moment work starts, it's time to start work. And it means I'm going to like, I'm going to bust my ass, but it also means that like, it is work, right?
0: Um, I find like a similar, uh, onus to have to kind of like step into, step out of myself and like maybe stepping into kid yourself is the same thing. Yeah. It's like, that's a different person basically. So stepping out just to be like, I'm not conditioned to stop and smell the roses or like to be like, I did it. I'm on top of the hill. Yeah.
1: I am, I am actually remarkably bad at, at like celebrating successes. It's something which actually at like when I'm uh, in a kind of a management role, it's something after I either remember to do or delegate to someone else because mm-hmm. I will routinely downplay the importance of that celebration. Um, but lately I have been in a, just like in a state of mind where every now and then i I like, I, I just have to look and be like, my life is dope and I do dope shit.
0: Yeah. Right? Even I mean we like walked right through it but like you gave a GDC talk. Yeah. That shit's huge. Like I was yeah, I was I was pretty stoked with uh
1: how it worked out actually. It was and again, that, that was one of those things that was always on my list of of like I need to do this sometime and then mm-hmm. kind of the opportunity presented itself and I was like, "Great, I did it."
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, hey man. Um God, I'm I Yeah, I love talking to you about all of this and I love your sort of weird your version of a weird arc because it's like so much depth in different places that seems like it's converging and like who knows where it's going to converge. It's probably going to converge at the VR MOBO commentator thing and analyst <laughs> that I said. Um, cause I'm cause, cause my future career is as a, uh, like a soothsayer in the VR world. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to get all robed up and shit. Nice. And like people will come to me, and I'm I could like, see
1: like reading tarot cards or something. But yeah, they're like virtual tarot cards, right? <laughs> I won't have a
0: name. It'll be like a symbol, but it'll be like a shitty 3D model symbol. This is <laughs> gonna be an early <laughs> VR. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, this is this is great. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop babbling. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, man. Whew, that is Patrick. Uh. Do you ever have the experience where you're talking to someone who you feel like they're just they're just processing or operating a little bit faster than you are? Maybe it's because you're tired, or maybe because they're caffeinated. I'm, I happen to be caffeinated right now, if you couldn't tell. Um, that's kind of what I feel like with Patrick. He's like he's very thoughtful and he's very good at at um, processing things and and being eloquent and being well spoken in the moment. I tend to ramble. Uh, I tend to kind of wander around to my point but get there, and I like saying all those words. It's part of my thought process. He seems to just be able to put thoughts together really well, Um, and that's why I'm really glad we got to have him on the show. Uh, If you want to hear more from Patrick Miller, uh, you should follow him on Twitter. He is at pattheflip. Also, uh, you can find his free book, from Master to Master, the the game that is about fighting games, it's a primer on them and, and Street Fighter, on Shoryuken. Uh, but most easily you can get the link from his Twitter bio. So follow him on Twitter. Um, Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, I'm going to go back to trying to rest. It's currently Saturday, so I'm going to see if I can... I'm actually going to do a bunch of work. But then I swear to God I'm going to go outside. Um, but let me know what your experiences are with trying to take time off, trying to take vacation, trying to rest. I'm curious what how it works for you all. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, you can get me on Twitter at TeddyDeef, T-E-D-D-Y-D-I-E-F, or you can email playscape at idlethumbs.net. That'll do it for the show. We'll be back uh actually in a few days, because I'm late this week, and we'll be back with another guest, and I'll talk to you then. Bye.